Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in today. This is Ellen, and I'd just like to use this moment right before our podcast to talk about a few things that I misspoke about in today's episode. So as you'll hear, me and Caleb discussed the war on Ukraine, and I sort of go off on a tangent about modern-day feminism. Now, the mistake that I made was making a blanket statement around females in general. Now, those weren't my intentions, and definitely not the message that I was trying to convey. My critique was specifically on the ideology of modern-day feminism, and not about females in general. So I am sorry if I have offended anyone, but I still do hope that you finish listening to today's podcast because, as you'll hear, I do agree with a lot of what Caleb says towards the end. As you all know, I am quite new to podcasting, so I will be making mistakes as I go. So please provide your feedback or any critiques that you might have what I might have of what I have said, and I'll definitely review them. And thank you again for listening today. Maybe that was too loud. Let's start again. Hello, welcome to another episode of Belt Life. I'm Ellen, your favorite Asian co-host. I'm Caleb, your favorite Jewish. <laughs> I, I guess so. No, I'm uh, probably not your favorite. Who else is Jewish on the podcasting space? I can't think of anyone. Ben Shapiro. Mm, nah. Does he, does he have a podcast? I don't know. I know he's on the Daily Wire. That's all I know. Mm. So it's been how many weeks since we recorded? I have no idea, but um, a lot of stuff to been talk a, about. Been a little while. Yeah. Um. I wasn't able to do it the last couple of weeks because I was inundated with my work and yeah, was neglecting a lot of things, not just podcast. Yeah, that includes me neglecting me. I mean, anyways, avoiding, um, avoiding. <laughs> um, Obviously, a lot has happened since we last chatted. You know, the world is... We're heading into World War Three. You were right about the prediction or whatever. <laughs> um, world's going into chaos. Um, and I was kind of right about China, although that's TBC. Yeah. I did uh, watch an analysis of that and um people were saying that if china had any plans to do it like 
you know, in the near future, they may be revisiting those plans because of the sanctions and things happening to, to Russia right now. How much would it actually affect them, though? I don't know that it would affect them that well, much. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not an economist, but um, I think the, the markets between specifically the US and China, mm-hmm. they're so interconnected that any sort of, I think if any sort of, I guess, economic blockade was to happen, mm-hmm. it would have pretty dire consequences for both countries. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if China is willing to do that just yet. Um, and one thing, okay, so one thing it's taught them, right, is so Russia had close to $1 trillion, um, you know, in reserves, basically their, uh, their, their bank, the Bank of Russia, um, had sort of, after the Crimea incident, it sort of started um, stockpiling funds. Um, obviously, Putin, you know, he had a, a game plan from then, you know, from, from that time on that he wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. And so they had stockpiled these uh, massive funds and they were kind of betting that um, these kind of harsh sanctions wouldn't be as severe as they are. And it effectively cut them off from a lot of the money that they had sort of saved up. Um, because they were holding it in foreign banks and in foreign currency. <laughs> okay. And so uh, effectively, they were cut out of their own money. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that now, obviously. Not all of it. And I'm sure they'll try and find ways to get out of it. Maybe taking, uh, you know, um, f- foreign currency from within their own country, taking it from, you know, actual people. Oh, um, I, I feel like they would go through China for that, though. Would yeah, and, and I'm sure they. I'm sure they are. Yeah, um, but um, I think what it's taught China is that, and I'm not the you know I'm not the only one saying this, but um, that if they're going to do something like that to Taiwan, try and annex Taiwan, mm-hmm. um, they'd probably want to build up their reserves, you know, with assets they can wholly control. Hold up, know? it's not annex Taiwan; it's reunification. Okay, so but you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm being facetious, um, but yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, the, the, it, it it's an, a great example of um. So people were saying like you can only do this once, because get one everyone's, shot, one everyone's everyone's gonna you know know what's gonna happen if they try and do it right. Yeah. So China's looking at this and being like, okay, so we're not gonna do it the way the Russians doing it because they just <laughs> shot themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to do it a different way. We're going to make sure that our backup ac- assets are wholly in c- our control so yeah. that if we get sanctioned, it, it won't affect us as much. So I'm sure China's watching this with, you know, sort of uh, studying every facet of, you know, the how everything's going. And yeah. you can see in the in the in the Russian case um, is going completely the wrong way to what they thought it was you know i shouldn't laugh because like you know obviously the russian civilians are taking the biggest hit but i guess with regards to putin it's like yeah um it's a total cluster yeah yeah um 
so it, it, it sort of started happening right when all this work had come through for me and mm-hmm. so i was at my computer like all the time only yep. sort of getting up to sort of say hi to you know my family and then drink a coffee and then go back to work mm-hmm. and um there was one time about maybe a week ago where i had two mobile phones set up with sky news and al jazeera running live um and okay uh yeah so i was getting sort of like to the minute updates from multiple sources mm-hmm. what was happening um and then uh, i had to shut it off because i you know it was sort of the initial start of it was kind of low-key um because they weren't doing the sort of mass shelling it was sort of like they were trying to get their troops to get you know sort of as they put it blitzkrieg you know get in there quick and then just you know um but then obviously it didn't didn't work out so i started doing the bombing stuff yeah and um when you're uh constantly seeing like little kids and stuff you know um medical staff trying to resuscitate them uh it starts to have an effect well it had an effect on my mental health so Mm. uh, i was like i had to turn it off it was just yeah uh, getting to me i didn't see the kids part of apart from the one very recently where the i think yeah the parents rushed the kid to the hospital but um kid was dead already unfortunately um they tried resuscitating him but yeah that yeah. i saw that, that, I that it's kind of like the modern reality of war these days right it's, everything is documented it's like you can see everything but at the same time it's like even though everything is documented like how like we've talked about this uh, uh, on instagram the last few days which is just you know even though everything's being documented but you just don't know which sources right like even I think I think even like the Snake Island thing. I don't know if that's still a, a debate, but what I sent you yesterday about like Putin being in the bunk, whatever, and then it turns out people were saying his hands went through the microphone, but it turns out it was actually the video file was corrupt, something like that. I don't know how it works, but yeah, yeah I guess. I mean, I, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is. Yes, everything's been documented, but I think at the same time, people need to be very cautious about what they see online as well. Um, and I, I kind of agree with um, Flagrant too, um, Andrew Schultz, and even Elijah Schaefer on your here. And that is a lot of this is propaganda. Um, yeah, unfortunately. And it's almost like a, as, as Andrew Schultz puts it, it's almost like a PR thing. It's just competing who has a better PR. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds sort of really disgusting to think of it that way, but that is the truth. I say disgusting is because, you know, these are people's lives and livelihoods at stake, but, you know, both sides are just thinking about what they're going to gain, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, there is propaganda on both sides, but well, yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. It, it's it's wholly understood that you know, like Russia is literally committing war crimes right now. Like, 
the, Which, the, yeah. You know, the, you know, there's verified footage of them bombing actual like houses and stuff. Oh yeah, so that's yeah. Not, that's not that's not in dispute. But you know, like this, you know what you're saying, the Snake Island and like the ghost of Kiev, or Kiev as they say it in Ukraine. Uh-huh. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff is, is a lot of it is, especially coming from the Ukrainian side. I think it's a lot of it is um, propaganda to sort of encourage people to to fight harder i guess and to you know whereas on the other side the russian side it's almost like um the veil in front of the 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 face you know one of my it's it's like concealment of what's actually going on yeah i think one of my big bigger biggest critiques around the ukrainian side is this message to foreign countries civilians to come and fight and we'll just give you weapons like yeah i don't know if that's a very responsible thing to do is to just tell people to give up your life where you are and come join us in this fight for something that is not even their fight do you know what i mean I have, I have, I understand where you're coming from. I have mixed feelings about that because um, there is a very real potential that it will become a European conflict, you know, Mm. Um, because there are certain Baltic states that are NATO members that have sort of been on Russia's radar. So there is the potential that. you know, if he takes Ukraine, then, you know, because he, there's this whole thing about the, the, the fear of nuclear conflict, right? And that's the whole reason why they're not doing the no-fly zone or putting troops into Ukraine is because they're scared of basically Putin pushing the button, right? And so he may, I mean, I'm not like a (laughs) geopolitical, you know, uh, Scientist or something expert yeah but you know how far is he willing to push it you know does he want to reunify all of those baltic states that were kind of former soviet um states you know and he's just going to be like okay well i took ukraine so what's next you know and so there is the potential there's actually a, a lot of um similarities between this and the start of World War Two, with, um, you know, the, the Nazis going into Austria and Poland, mm-hmm. and I think that's what everyone fears. And so, I've listened to, uh, specifically, uh, British people going, you know, signing up to go fight in Ukraine. And there was one gentleman in particular who was talking about it, and he was saying that, um, he's scared of the implications of what a greater war you know could could happen because Mm. of this conflict so he would rather get involved with the fight now and stop it before it gets any bigger than to not do anything and then potentially involve more and more people so that was kind of his uh i see his point yeah that makes sense to me 
Yeah, and a, a lot of the call the call going out was also for Ukrainians from other countries to come back to their kind of homeland and you know fight for it. Yeah. Um, and so I think there are a lot of people that aren't, weren't necessarily born in Ukraine but have some sort of Ukrainian connection that kind of have a sense of yeah that is kind of the homeland. So you know we got got to go fight for it. Yeah, I think it was just more towards the message around foreigners, and also right. like. If you were Putin right now and you're looking at this, do you go how many people from these foreign countries have joined and he sees that as an act of war, even though it is the individual's um, decision? Um, yeah, like how how does? Well, I, I can't go- imagine. I, I can't imagine a world leader or a, you know a leader of um, you know a powerful country declaring war on. Mr. Joe Bloggs, who wants to fight for the enemy, you know, mm. that that doesn't make sense to me. But he he has he has already said or insinuated that um, even just having the sanctions is kind of like an act of war. Mm. So, you know, I think uh, I think I heard I read recently that so they've been calling it a military operation in Russia for the last two weeks, but only in the last day or two that they started calling it a war. And I guess that's in response to, um, I'm not 100% on that, but I, I'm pretty sure I saw that in the news. Um, and I think that's in response to basically the sanctions and why, you know, the Russians were like, what's going on here? Why, you know, we're doing this military operation that's meant to be helping these people, but then suddenly we're you know, being sanctioned. inflation has doubled. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, interest rates have, have doubled and, you know, the, the money's worthless and, yeah apple's shut down you know like everything's shut down yeah uh, and the, the thing is like i can see you know this the i think the imp, uh implement uh, implementation um the implementing implementing implementation implementation i don't know why i was trying to um implementation of these uh sanctions on the general populace in russia in terms of how it affects them um I think the idea from a Western perspective is, okay, we're going to punish the people. The people are going to get upset. They're going to start protesting. And then they're going to, you know, bring the government, you know, to their knees or whatever, Um, which is a kind of a Western way of, you know, viewing things. Yeah. Because I I guess we kind of, you know, like in in the West and, you know, the Western democracies, democracies, there is that kind of potential, like, you, you know, riots and, you know, like protests and stuff can like, cause actual change yeah um but i think in russia in this case it's just like uh the people will just suffer and then if there's any sort of uprising they'll just be it'll be quashed you know Mm. i don't think they have the same sort of um ability to uh hold the government to account as you know a sort of western democracy no i don't think so either like you would hope that that's the case but if you look at how a child i think they arrested a child for protesting recently in russia uh, it was like it was like a, uh it was a mum and she had like three kids mm. yeah and, and they were laying flowers outside the ukrainian embassy i think it was mm. and they had a sign that said like no war or peace now or something yeah yeah and then the police arrested them all which is crazy 
um and and then uh, you know i was watching uh interviews with uh russians and the general populace there like they don't know what's going on at all yeah um and like with the sanctions and stuff they're just like oh well you know life will be harder <laughs> like none of them are like none of them look upset maybe they are upset you know in, in in their homes but they're too scared to speak out but yeah i feel like that that's the case even even within like the military is people are people are run by fear in russia right at least and, it, and it's, a, it's, it's a very real fear yeah because there was one particular um he was a young man I, I think he understood what was going on but he was just like um i don't want to talk about it i don't want to get in trouble mm-hmm like straight up and it's like okay so um and you know like i you know i don't really follow uh russian news that i mean like previously i didn't follow it that closely but um you know like it's it's hard to get away from you know news articles where they're talking about how opposition leaders and you know uh, activists are you know getting murdered and poisoned and you know thrown in jail like Mm -hmm. the warning signs are all there you know that was quickly going downhill and i fear russia will basically become uh a much larger north korea i think that that could be a very real possibility where they just put up the walls um keep everyone in and then just sort of yeah hold everyone captive and it just becomes a very closed off because they're they're already closed off economically and i'm not sure how they're going to get you know find their way back certainly not with putin in charge that's Mm. for sure yeah um yeah they're talking about uh, opening up a uh investigation into war crimes um but i think they were already you know they already had cases against uh, the Russian government because of what they were doing in Syria and Crimea and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And of, of course, because you know they're an independent country, so you know if somebody you know brings charges against them, they're just gonna be like, "We're not. We don't care about you." <laughs> you know, like nothing will come of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm sounding, you know, very um, what's the word? Um, I may sound very kind of uh, I don't know how to describe it, but um, watching those live broadcasts for you know basically a week uh, for. 15 16 hours per day um yeah uh it, it does take a an emotional toll like i feel really sad for the ukrainian people and um the russian people as well mm. by proxy um you know maybe conflicting worldviews and you know in terms of what what way they want to shape their society but you know, at the end of the day, 99% of those people just want to, you know, have a nice life, you know, be happy and um, have work, make money, 
make sure there's food on the table yeah kids and stuff and um yeah it's uh this is one of those events that's going to sort of echo through generations for you know another hundred years maybe even longer depending on the outcome in terms of whether ukraine falls to to russia i don't think it will um possibly parts of you know like eastern ukraine will be absorbed into russia Mm. um and that'll be kind of conceded Uh, maybe a similar situation to korea where it's kind of like technically still at a state of war but they just cut the country in half you know i think that could possibly happen i don't think the russian influence will be completely removed from ukraine um because especially in the east they even the 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 civilians are kind of uh more russian than ukrainian well i mean that's one of the things that um the ukrainian president has sort of come out with yesterday i think with um i guess that he's willing to settle for the pro-russian separatist states to be yeah areas to be a part of russia um i even read somewhere that he'd even agree to crimea being a part of russia um so yeah it looks like that that might be the way um yeah this I was thinking about it this morning how how crazy wars are these days compared to like World War Two and World War One. Like wars can be done, well, pretty much in the day, depending on how you want to fight it, right? Yeah, and if you look at um, you know back when Iraq invaded Kuwait uh, and the U.S. went in there and like. It was the way that I think Putin wanted it to go in Ukraine, mm. where like they just went in there with overwhelming force, like easily crushed any resistance, and it was kind of like it was like you know somewhat of a cakewalk. Um, and then, but the same thing happened, you know, with the U.S. again. It's like you know the second Iraq War. You know things have had evolved, you know, and um i guess the issue with the issue with those kind of uh, uh, invasions i guess you call them is when you're doing this you know over multiple decades the civilian population gets very good at fighting the wars yeah and so you can only sort of you know have that sort of uh blitzkrieg event kind of once you know before people get wise to it and then they get entrenched and then they have these sort of insurgencies where Mm -hmm. you can't use the same tactics you were using before yeah and that's exactly what happened in in ukraine you know like they'd been fighting with russians for eight years before that Mm -hmm. you know and wholly aware of what was 
what what was happening you know like i think you know but back in the in, in world war Two, the the nazis had sort of um built up their army you know they were sort of on the cutting edge of technology and then you know it they basically poured money into the, the armed services yeah and um i'm not 100 percent, but i think I suspect a lot of Europe was um, demilitarized because, you know, they had World War One, and, you know, people were trying to invest money more back into, you know, building up their countries again. And so it allowed, you know, the Nazis just to like, just, you know, just blaze through all these countries, you know, as quickly as possible. Yeah. And um, so it's sort of like catching people off guard, right? Um, and I think that's what they were hoping for in this conflict. But obviously, you know, as I said, you, you know, they've been fighting for eight years, you know. So a lot of the men in Ukraine, I mean, yeah. uh, so a lot of the a lot of the, you know, the people in the armed services that, you know, like that's they're, they're seasoned by this point, you know. Um, and so to think that you can just, you know, roll in there. You know, and just take over the country and you know five days or something it's just yeah insane and not only that but the fact that they have satellite technology now that shows them okay there's 150,000 troops on the border you know and even in belarus there's like you know aircraft and troops and things on the border so mm -hmm. like what's happening here like you know and that's one thing that i I think was really good about um, the the Biden administration response to it is that they were completely open. They were like, um, "Hey guys, like this is this is happening. This is going to happen." And I, you know, there was you know because I was watching that as well because you know we were talking about it on podcast. I was like, you know, this is not going to end well. You know, this is going to you don't put that amount of hardware and troops on a border and then send them home. You know, afterwards. Or like you know, use it as a threat. You do that when you're actually going to use them, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think Ukraine understood that, and you know, a lot of those kind of Western allies knew that as well, and so they were, you know, preparing for what was eventually going to happen. Yeah, apparently, um, a lot of people knew that it was coming, like two to three weeks before. And I think even people that were entering Russia were probably told about it, um, at least from what I've heard. Um, but one thing that sort of came up with this whole, you know, I guess one of the things that came up as a part of this war is the um, the whole topic again around like race and gender as well. You know, as we've seen, like men, you know, that are of 18, 18 years old have to stay and fight. And it's, it's just at times like these that you, at least, you know, with, with the things that I'm interested in uh, talking about, like um, equality uh, and feminism, like this is where things get a bit sort of, What's the word I'm looking for? 
like you can definitely see a clear difference between the genders and people are trying to muddy it within the Western society um, with all of these, you know, equality and um, transgender things. Right. And, but when, you know, when crap hits the fan, as we're, we're seeing in Ukraine and Russia right now, like men have to step up and it's almost like no questions asked. Like you're 18. Well, here's a gun, like go on and fight for your country. Um, I don't know how you feel about it or what your, if you have any thoughts that, on this. That's a tangent. <laughs> that is a tangent, but it's you. And it's not just about, you know, genders or sex. It's also about race as well, as we've seen in some reports at least. Um, but although some of them have been proven, you know, with people coming in from Ukraine into Poland, um, if you were a different skin tone, apparently you were, you know, told to wait. But apparently uh, some reports have come out and said it's more about nationality than than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll probably push back a, a bit, a little bit on that because um, uh, you're talking about the conscription of men, mm. um, and that the men step up, right? Not that the um, men step up, but men. This is where we see a clear difference as in terms of like why there's a difference between the genders. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not sure about the um, the the way the Ukrainian army recruits, like, um, you know, whether they have, excuse me, female soldiers. I'm sure they do. Um, but if you're talking about the, in terms of, like, excuse me, um, you know, physical traits, mm. It would make sense to me to want to get, you know, people with, you know, for instance, men, because they have obviously a physical advantage. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Russia is sending in men. It's not sending in, you know, yeah. like a, a broad spectrum of, of, you know, different people. These are, you know, um, male soldiers. So I, I think, you know, getting, some, you know, a force that can um, effectively um, fight off, you know, like, well, that's, that's 1v1, yeah. if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, that's but sort of what I'm trying to, to point say out. That, um, you know, like, because I've seen, you know, th there are female fighters there as well who are Ukrainian. Yeah, for sure. Plenty of that um, in there um on the on the on the news and stuff um you know but and i'm sure there's you know i'm sure there's a lot of women who who are ukrainian who do want to go back and fight and i've you know listened to a lot of them who say that um on the i mean news. i've seen i've seen female ukrainians wanting to do their part which is like go and deliver a drone so that the military can use it um and i i think that's yeah, I think that that's an admirable thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, it, it, you know, if I'm, if I'm thinking about, in, if I was in that situation, um, 
you know, my own family, you know, like, I'm sure if, if this was Japan and, you know, war broke out or whatever, and I, if I was Japanese, um, you know, because my wife is like, you know, really patriotic, right? Mm. So she would probably want to stay and fight. But then, you know, what happens to our kids, right? Yeah. And so I think it makes sense from a sort of physicality perspective to have the man stay and fight. And then, you know, the woman, in a, you know, off the front line type thing. but in a supporting role i'm I'm not i'm not sort of like arguing against that i agree with that what i'm trying to say is um i think we'll probably agree to disagree here but in terms of as you were saying like physicality traits like um yeah exactly men are going to have to be at the front lines um and so i don't know it's just sort of like stuff that i'm watching and stuff that i am more quite interested in in terms of um how a lot of more modern day feminists sort of uh, approach the conversation and um yeah you just see them being a bit more quiet in terms of this time around when it comes to war i'm not saying like send women into war i'm saying like obviously we have to recognize that there is a difference and trying to blur the line between male and female and all of that uh, I you, think could argue, you could argue mm-hmm. that um, this war probably wouldn't have happened if Ukraine and Russia had female leaders. So it just cancel out, cancels out the whole, you the whole see, situation You see, I would disagree with that because if you look at the states and some of their leaders... They're for war. Like, they're all giggly when they see war because they're about to rack in some money. So I think it's coming. So what female leader in the U.S. has started a war? No, not started a war, but they're for war. Like, they're for the, the whole situation. Like, yes, there's war going on. I mean, if you look at Hillary Clinton, if you look at Nancy Pelosi, like they are for that because it means money in their banks, at least from the sources that I read. And I, and you know, I read a few sources, not just one, but everyone seems to agree that that is the thing. Um, but the it, general it, consensus. Are, are they, are they, um, they're not war starters. No, they are not. But, but, but uh, uh, is that, is that, is that a gender issue? Because I'm sure the and, men are look, licking their lips as well. And, and that's like, what I'm trying to get to. Anybody, is, money. And that's what I was about to say is I understand that that is going to be on an individual basis, right? Not every, not every woman is going to seek war. I mean, if we look at um, Helen Clark, I'm sure she was not pro-war. I'm sure Jacinda Ardern is not pro-war. I'm I'm sure a lot of European leaders who are female are not pro-war. And again, you know, that comes down to the individual. So to go back to your point about, if today the female leaders of Russia and Ukraine were female, then by, you know, by the fact that because they're women, there won't be a war. I disagree with that. I think it is, again, down to the individual basis. It's not about gender. It's more about what their philosophy is, where they stand, uh, what their past is, right? Like you could also argue 
that if Putin didn't have that sort of tie with Ukraine um, and he didn't grow up in that USSR era, maybe if he grew up post-USSR, today it wouldn't be like this. So uh, I think it is down to an individual basis. So I get where you're coming from, but I think we both agree it is, it is down to the individual. Uh, certainly, to a degree. Um, and not to excuse that, you know, there weren't, you know, women in the past that have caused, you know, major conflict. But well, I think um, in modern in modern times, in, you know, in the last 100 years or something like that, I, I can't, you know, I can't think of a sin- single instance where, you know, a war was started because of, you know, the actions of a female leader. I, can't, um, I mean, you don't see, it's only been, you know, in the last 50 years or so where you actually see you know, female leaders, it wasn't very common and it's probably, it's still not, not that common, but. Um, yeah, I would say if, if we're talking, and I know that you're not specifically talking about the last hundred years, but if, if we were, um, actually, if you look at China, um, one, you know, I think, I don't know if she was within the last hundred years, but there was, there were a few empresses that, a couple, sorry, um, that were, um yeah, they just took over power because the emperors were too young and they got a hold of that and they just started, you know. Actually, I think there was one. I One just came to mind. And yeah, it's not, I guess it's not technically she started the war, but Margaret Thatcher and the Falklands War. I don't know much about that. But... That was because Argentina decided that they were going to take the Falkland Islands and then Margaret Thatcher, who was the UK prime minister at the time, was like, screw you guys. And she mm. sent a whole bunch of warships down there and then they had a battle and then they got the island back. Mm. But that was more like a ter- territorial defense rather than she started a war. Sure. Yeah, that's, I... that's literally the only thing I can think of <clears throat> that where a woman leader was involved in some kind of war. Mm directly like the, the leader you know that's the only one i can think of yeah um yeah and in terms of from my end like in terms of chinese history that's the only one that i can think of as well um actually there's a funny story about that um so when i don't remember i don't remember when this was it's probably probably second world war maybe before that i can't remember but um so the Japanese were attacking China at the time and the Chinese dynasty, because they had this empress that spent all their money, at least is what I was told in the history books. The empress has spent so much money on other stuff rather than war that by the time the war begun, they didn't have any like ammo, like cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just started launching helmets <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> and the Japanese were like, wait, hold on, that's not exploding. And they looked close to it and was like, oh, it's a helmet. Oh, so they're screwed because they, they don't actually have any ammo anymore. So <laughs> I suspect it's that that is more common, more prevalent than you know people might think. 
where people are like literally putting like rubbish or garbage in, into their cannons <laughs> to fire it. Yeah. I, I suspect that's more common than, you know, people think, especially in the old days. Mm. Um, so going back to what we we're talking about, could two possible conclusions be that one, there aren't enough female leaders in the world, and two, um, wars are less likely to be started by a female. I'm not saying impossible, but less likely. I agree with the second notion that, um, yes, wars are less likely to be triggered by female leaders. Um, but as for the statement that we don't have enough female leaders, um, I guess my take on that is, when I see a leader, I don't look at them for what their gender is. I look at them as we've talked about here before, which is, are they competent? Mm -hmm. uh, whoa, I froze. Um, yeah, are they competent? Um, and that's more important to me than your gender. Like you could, you could be trans, you could be female, you could be male, you can be whoever you want are you competent if you are, then I think that's more important than do we need more females? I think competent leaders, um, competent leaders know how to run a nation and know how to manage relationships with other nations. Um, like if we look at Justin Trudeau, like, is that his name? Yeah. Like he definitely is not a competent leader, right? He's very handsome. Yeah, when he's got the turban on. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> turban? Do you not know about his whole black face, brown face thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw pictures of that. Yeah. Yeah, so to, to your second statement, yeah, I, I agree with that. I would, I would definitely agree that um, female leaders are less likely um, to initiate wars um but as for the first statement i i'm just not a hundred percent sold on that that we need more female leaders we need more competent leaders and that's regardless of who you are and what your background is are you competent in doing in leading a nation and it's it's a it's such a tough job and i i don't think i have i don't think i know anyone right now i could be wrong but i don't know anyone right now in 2022 that is confident i mean i could be wrong there might be some christopher luxon at uh, tbc <laughs> yeah um it, it's it's amazing to me that um you know a modern powerful rich nation can you know you would assume in a very naive and simplistic way that the leader would be somebody who is um the most competent for the job right uh competent in terms of you know that the popular see him as see him or her as competent right and can deliver um, in the job. And what's amazing to me is that, you know, there are 
people in, in charge of you know very powerful nations that are clearly not very competent mm. um and that you know it's kind of like a and and especially if you've got uh you know leaders sort of running off you know each other um mm. fighting each other for the top spot who are viewed as like not competent but then the populace has to choose between who's who's the least you know idiotic or you know the lesser of two evils like that's amazing to me that that's sort of still part of the way that people do governance you know nowadays like a leader should be a leader of a powerful rich country you know where we you have the ability where it's not a dictatorship um we have the ability to choose well there's there's the there's a perception that you get to choose but then you know the reality is like you know uh the people at the top are not the cream of the crop Mm -hmm. they are often part of political families who you know this is what they've been doing their whole lives and they've been um they've been groomed yeah. yeah groomed and coached from you know the get-go you know how to uh look a certain way and act a certain way mm. to maintain the status quo right yeah like um so, it's, so it's amazing you, to me that that's that's still the reality in, in these modern times yeah i mean like to go to talk about leadership like if if i look at the people that i admire in terms of leadership my current employer the ceo she's a very competent lady and i really respect her for that mm-hmm. right the way that she runs things the way that she operates uh this organization and how she you know how transparent she is um and how she make those decisions as she go i i really respect her for that and so uh, yeah you know again i to your point as well like it is about competency and sometimes as we, you know, as you also just said, like people are groomed to look and act a certain way to play that role, but never really know how to be an actual congressman, minister, or whatever. Um, they don't come in with the experience and specialty. They just come in because that's what they think they're supposed to do. Or at least that's what their family told them that they're supposed to do. Yeah. I think that's why I, I like characters like Eisenhower uh, so much because, um, you know, when he was coming in, people didn't know if he was red or if he was blue. Um, so he didn't sort of subscribe to a certain camp. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He wasn't like, yes, I'm this person. He, he, you know, he wasn't like that. Yeah. He was kind of like neutral. And then when he came into power, he didn't just, you know, turn the switch off everything that the former administration had done. Yeah. He kept the good stuff and dismissed the bad stuff. Yeah. Right. Which is like awesome. And I, yeah. And invested in his country, you know, and, um, you know, he invested in infrastructure and social welfare stuff. And, but he was very kind of, I guess, in the, I don't know if this is the correct word, but kind of hard line as well. Like he didn't take any crap from anybody. 
sure um and sort of you know like um he stood up for himself and for you know like by proxy uh you know the us as well stood up for themselves like he sounds he obviously if you i don't know much about eisenhower but like just listening to how you described him you know he obviously is a man who knows who he is and he's comfortable with who he is and he's not going to be yeah he, he wasn't trying to appease a certain camp right that's what i was about to say like yeah. he, he's not swayed by you know popularity or what's going to get him more votes what's going to get him more likes or you know whether or not he's going to get money from big pharma or you know right now if we look at Lockheed martin and all those um arms whatever you call them well in fact he he denounced those you know he's got a famous speech where he's talking about the um military and industrial complex yeah and he was warning people like this shouldn't be a part of our country you know yeah like what you're talking about now is like you know being just a giant war machine and he you know he was from the military he was a like a general in world war ii yep. right so he is a military man but he was saying like this is not good you know what's happening mm. now is not good and it was this build-up of arms you know during the cold war and he saw how it was going to go um and it's interesting because if you look at his uh popularity within the the actual civilian population um it remains relatively flat right whereas everyone else is sort of you know they'll be popular for a time and then they'll go down really far and then they'll sort of come up a little bit but he was like you know um a, his approval rating was flat and it was a decent approval rating as well i think it's you know again i think that goes to say to you know what who he is as a person like he is consistent and who he is and so yeah. like people that are going to hate him are going to continue to hate him and maybe because of his consistency, you might actually like him, um, but, you know, hate him at the same time. But people that are already supporting him will, because of his consistency, um, continue to support him. And if we look at, like, leaders, uh, for example, like, for example, Trump, like, or whoever else that you've just described with the roller coaster ratings, like, that just goes to show that they're not comfortable with first of all who they are and then the role that they're in like they're definitely not um what's the word i used before um uh they're not com competent they're not competent and so they're trying to lean towards one side and then the other and then you just get this roller coaster of rating it's just you know is that is i guess you know yeah to and I agree with what you were saying earlier, like in the modern times, I don't understand how we're still seeing this. Um, and, you know, going back to what we we're saying at the very beginning with like Russian people revolting and all of that, um, like we've had decades of this now, right? Of voting and understanding how politics works as civilians, but somehow we still fall for the same tricks every year well not every year but every election cycle and we we just hope that it's almost like a bet you know like you're going to lotto and you're just like well last time i went red this time i'm gonna go blue just because let's see if it let's see if it's better yeah i think i think in, in a way new zealand is lucky because um the opposition party 
you know, the, between the two main parties, it doesn't swing wildly in one direction or another, you know. They're, you know, because I guess you'd say, you'd see National as like, a, kind of like, you know, right, but they don't swing so far right that it's like, you know, particularly uh, damaging for their image overall for people that, you know, might lean more left. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why you can see, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of, you know, how, how the elections run and stuff, it's like you can have a leader on both sides who can be in power for multiple terms over many, many years, right? And that's because people are voting for competency rather than, you know, for their camp, right? And I don't think New Zealanders have a hard time, you know, voting for, quote-unquote, the other side if it means that whoever's in charge of that other side is, you know, competent and, you know, doing a good job. Um, and that's why you see, you know, it doesn't swing, every, every election doesn't swing from one side to the other all the time. Um, you know, you, you have characters like Helen Clark and even Jacinda Ardern and, and um, John Key, who, who they had multiple terms because um, they were, you know, in terms of the majority of the population, they were seen as, you know, doing a good job, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, in the, you know, in general, people were like, okay, we're, you know, we're happy with this direction, so we're going to stay with this leader, right? And it was almost like, you know, whatever side that they're on was not inconsequential, but it was less of an issue. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There were certain bills that came into, you know, you know, get signed into, into law that, you know, certain side doesn't necessarily agree on. But then if you take stock of the whole thing, you know, um, people can see the vision and, you know, they can see, you know, I'm talking. I'm talking about you know in general. I'm not talking about you know individuals because you know there's always people that really really hate whoever's in charge um, if they're on the opposing side. But I think those I think, are just anarchists. Yeah, I think there's you know a lot of uh, level-headed people in New Zealand who they recognize a good leader and you know they'll support that leader if they're doing a good job. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, it seems less prevalent in a lot of other bigger, more powerful nations. If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I think as you were saying, as you were talking, this thought just came to mind. And so I, I do a lot of meditation today, these days, pretty much every night. Um, you know, to manage the stress. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to talk about the stress, but um, one of the things. Let's talk about stress, baby. Um, <laughs> that came uh, into my head as well. <laughs> um but one of the things that the so so the channel that i go listen to is called master co um he does a really good job um and he's very himself like he's authentic he tells people to go you know go find another channel if they don't like the way that he speaks but one thing that he said um like in a, in a threatening way no just like if you find what i'm saying is really harsh then it's i understand off. Yeah, that's too bad. Like, you you have you have a finger and there's a button on the screen. Like, that's that's him. He's he's just very authentic. He's just true to it himself. Is, 
just to interrupt there a little bit um i think that's so refreshing when people can you know can say that sort of stuff in a level-headed way right mm. and i think the internet especially needs more of that where people are just like you know yes i do not need to listen to you i can just yeah. push this button and i don't need to like scream at you through the keyboard you know like yeah leave profanities i can just leave you know what i mean i mean that's i don't know if you do this but i definitely do like if i find a channel it's like for instance what i like to do every now and then is i like to wipe my youtube history and that what allow what that allows me to do is to have a fresh set of sort of suggestions on my youtube on my youtube homepage, and i can go and look at different point of views um and when i do that um it's all in japanese and it's all like <laughs> you know the weather channel and you know random talk shows <laughs> that i have no idea what's going on and so that doesn't work for me but i can see how it could work for you and that's why we need sponsors for this podcast we need vpns <laughs> <laughs> um but express vpn express vpn um or so shark um but yeah so coming back to um, AstroCo, um and what you're saying about uh you know new zealand and, and leadership and prime ministers like one thing that he says is like things are always changing if something is bad it won't always stay bad if something's good know that it always it won't always be this good either and so as you were saying that i was thinking maybe what we needed you know, three, four years ago was just in Dardan. But now post-pandemic, what we need is not just in Dardan anymore. Maybe we need another leader that is, and that goes for any leader, right? Like maybe we need a leader that is able to get the economy back on its feet and that, that is able to, um, I don't know, bring in tourism again, all those things. Uh, yeah. And so I think just understanding that there's always going to be a season of change, not just within you, but also within our political cycle and just going, okay, this is actually what we need for the next three to four years. I think that's probably a more healthy way to look at elections. Um, and just and I think that's the benefit of the, the governance in New Zealand is it seems to be like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, building on what you were saying, you know, like, for instance, John Key, came in i think it was just before the uh global financial crisis mm -hmm. and you know like he's a you know he worked in the stock market and in banks um i think it was goldman sachs um you know and and there was also the um i don't know if you remember excuse me um south canterbury finance i think it was called it was like a massive finance company yeah um they they failed at the same time and so, you know, uh, the government had to bail out, you know, this company and, you know, because it was going to really affect a lot of, you know, civil, uh, normal people. So it was a perfect timing to have a person like John Key to, you know, watch over the books and keep everything running smoothly, as smoothly as it could be, um, you know, during that time. And it was like a perfect time for that, right? Yeah. And then you have, you know, moving on through that you know he eventually stepped down he didn't want to do it anymore mm -hmm. and so the people that came in they weren't necessarily right for the job i don't think and that's why i think jacinda ardern was perfect for the time that she came in 
you know, um, very empathetic and, you know, um, very concerned with, you know, the, the, the well-being of, of certain people, you know, certain groups in New Zealand. And um, I think because they were kind of very strict with in terms of economic governance, you know, during that crisis, um, there were certain groups, I think, that kind of missed out. And then I think when she came in, it was kind of like exactly what you were saying is like, okay, we have a need here and this leader seems competent in this area. Mm. So, you know, let's do it. And then like what you're seeing now, like her approval rating as a leader is not that great. Because um, I think people yeah. I think people realize, okay, like we can't hide from this virus anymore. Mm-hmm. We have to, you know, start um a- you know, aiming towards building up the the coffers again, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and so maybe Christopher Luxon might have a good chance. Um or like sort of national in general might have a good chance next uh, next round because you know uh, you know he was the the ceo of you know Air new zealand and all that sort of stuff yeah so people might have that perception okay like he's gonna build up the economy again um and so you know people can can they have the option to choose what they want i think uh for the most part in new zealand governance and i think that's a good model for the rest of the world i think maybe i say maybe because not every country in terms of their culture and their economy are going to be the same as us like no, maybe no, no, for sure you know you're yeah. right um, for sure yeah um i, I guess in my my point would be sort of like western democracies mm. um, and sort of just trying to tie this back to what we we're saying earlier about and i Okay, this is going to make sense. I know it's going to start off a bit weird, but tying it back to like gender, um, if we look at, (laughs) but what I'm saying is like some like within election cycles or within within what a nation needs. Sometimes it is, and again, this and also this might get a bit spiritual, but maybe sometimes what we need is that sort of like feminine energy, that feminine power. Right. But then sometimes we need to redirect that because sometimes we need a maybe we need someone, for example, Chris Lux. And I'm not saying that he is going to be the next good leader, but maybe because of this time that we've been hiding from, you know, whether it's COVID Omicron, like maybe we need someone that is strong and brave enough to just go actually. It's, it's it's time that we stop hiding. I'm not saying that person has to be a male, but I'm saying that can bring a bit more of that male energy or that more strong male dominance energy into the nation and go, you know, a bit more, let's get a bit more grunty again. Let's start, you know, going now, living our lives and, you know, bringing back the economy, like literally build back better. Like maybe that's, I don't know. That's just another thing that just came to my mind just now. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I guess it actually goes back to um, you know what the the populace recognize in the leader, right? In terms of what benefits can they bring to benefit me? You know, mm. so if you're a small business owner, you've you know, COVID's done done you tough. You know, yeah, this time he might be getting your vote. Do you know what I mean? Mm. 
Um, yeah, it's, it, it's going to be interesting how it sort of evolves over the next couple of years. Um, and I, I hope that Russia doesn't invade you guys. Um, Us. Because yeah. you're on the list of unfriendlies. So is Japan. I know. I, I've been thinking about it a lot, right? So, um, so you know, we talked on the last podcast. It was like, this is before the invasion. I was like, well, from what I remember, I was like, you know, this is a big concern. It's going to, you know, possibly start a really big conflict, right? Mm -hmm. And as soon as they invaded, I started having these thoughts, okay, like, you know, like what, you know, potential outcomes of, you know, what could happen, right? Yeah. And so I was talking to my wife and I was like, we need to find a piece of land in the mountains far away from, you know, populated areas that you know we can put some sort of structure on it we can grow food um not i guess it is kind of like a bug out <laughs> a, bug, a bug out area where mm -hmm. you know if something happens um we have somewhere you know we can go to yeah um, if we can't get out of the country and it's very inexpensive here if you buy some land you know far away yeah um you know, it could be as low as, you know, a few hundred dollars, um, a thousand, two thousand dollars. Um, so I started having those conversations and then like also, you know, like uh, having potentially, you know, like food enough for a month. Because um, that's one of the issues hitting Ukrainians right now is the people stuck in these cities, they're running out of food and water. You know, it's only been like a couple of weeks yeah um so you know having a secure and you know you, you i wouldn't necessarily maybe put that food in our house here but if i had sort of land kind of far away from the town i could put it there so that you know i think it would be less affected by if there was buildings damaged or something i think you should um, definitely like in the middle of the night go to the go to nada and just hijack a deer where no one will notice and then you'll be a sweet deer. you know yeah at the temple <laughs> <laughs> just go hunting just go hunting at the temples there is um there is um an area i guess it's about two hours from here it's called chichibu mm-hmm um, it's a very beautiful place and it's, it's quite kind of mountainous. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when they invaded, uh, all these scenarios were going through my head and I was thinking, okay, so if, if China takes the opportunity to, okay, so they're distracted over here in Europe, I'm going to, you know, we're going to go for Taiwan, especially if there's a, if there's a military, uh, engagement you know with the u.s you know the u.s will send you know warplanes and warships over there so you know you know maybe maybe they'll go for taiwan and if they go for taiwan you know of course japan's going to get involved yeah um i think i'm not 100 sure but i think they're sort of obliged to um as part of like you know that kind of conflict and so you know would be a massive target here and um there is a 
uh, an airbase about 16 kilometers away from where I live. And so, you know, like you, Russia and China will have plans to, you know, preemptive plans to take out um, the Japanese military. So, you know, that on their plans, that airport will be, you know, a target. Yep. So potentially this area is a target area. So, um, you know, I was sort of going through these scenarios and like, okay, so what's the best, you know, the best kind of the way if something was to happen? And if we're talking about nuclear, I think it would be probably a small kind of warhead. It wouldn't be too big, but definitely this area would be hit massively hard, with, especially with, within 16 kilometers. Like, if they use even like the smallest one they have, this whole area would be de devastated. Um, we're in a very thick concrete building. So I think we would fear a lot better than a lot of the people around, around this town. Um, and because, you know, I work from home and, you know, my wife's home at the moment, um, you know, the, the biggest concern would obviously be our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, the schools are very, uh, they're built very tough as well because I think there's a, because of the earthquake risk, you know, and because it's kind of like a public building with kids in it, um, the buildings do look very thick and secure, um, the schools here. It's not like in New Zealand where it's like a wooden, wooden frame, you know, weatherboard with, you know, it's like a proper thick concrete, Yeah. you know, it looks like a, you know, like a, a military kind of building. Um, very thick concrete and you know big steel beams and everything mm. um but yeah you know obviously the kids would be the the greatest concern and then um you know the infrastructure would be devastated so you wouldn't be able to get to the airports or whatever so you know i think people would sort of flee more towards the mountains and obviously the mountains kind of offer you know a lot of protection against that sort of stuff right these are the these are the scenarios i think about i'm <laughs> getting we are all funny, like, we are all getting an insight into caleb's brain and how he thinks that is beautiful when you become a father when i became a father i'm like there's a lot of responsibility i'm not just thinking about my you know i don't you know again just sounds maybe a little bit funny but i don't care if i you know die as long as my i know that my family is okay if you know what i mean yeah like, i'm okay with it right yeah but yeah, if it's that. the other way around where my family is taken out and i don't like that that's that sounds like hell on earth to me so um that's what i think about so i'm uh you know you have to i, I think it's wise to think about worst case scenario not in a crazy way like where you constantly fear it it's like, you know, be aware this could possibly be like the worst case scenario. So, no, I understand. I understand. I, I don't have that response. I mean, yeah, I like, I, I don't have that responsibility in Ukraine, right now. Right? Yeah. You see it in Ukraine. Like, you know, even, even though they were expecting this invasion was probably going to go here. Like, they've had massive logistical um, issues with getting people out of the really hit cities. Yeah. You know? getting them to safety. And so that's the thing that we have to think about, right? Mm -hmm. um, you got to think about, okay, so potentially 
all the major infrastructure will be inoperable. The trains won't be running. You know, the highways will be clogged or destroyed or damaged. So what are you going to do? Um, and, you know, like in terms of food support, Japan relies on imports, you know, because there's just too many people and not enough um, agriculture. There's yeah. not enough land. So, and I think that's part of the reason why they invaded um, China, Manchuria in the 30s was because they were like, we got too many people and we need to, you know, we need to get some more for us. Um, so Japan relies heavily on the outside world. And so what if that's all cut off, you know? Um, you know, the, the good thing about Ukraine is it's, it's not entirely landlocked, but, you, you know, you've got borders with like five, six other countries, right? So if one side's attacking, you know, somebody's attacking you from one side, you can just get get stuff from the back, you know, from you know from your backyard. Um, but in Japan's case, like if you know, if we were cut off, like that's it, we're an island, you know, we're we're screwed. Yep. Especially if you live inland, where I, you know, where I do. Um, Speaking on a more positive note about Japan, I yeah, sorry have... about that, guys, but you know, <laughs> I it's a, it's a, let's it's take a rough it. Let's, out there. let's take a moment to talk about life. I have been looking on Airbnb, places that I could stay for a month if I went to Japan. And man, the houses in Osaka and Kyoto are beautiful. Like they're the old tatami style houses. And I'm just like, yeah, I'd like to do that. Those houses are actually often quite cheap. Uh, no, they're like two, two and a half, two and a half K for, for a month. Well, obviously, it depends on where it is, like you know, locationally. But mm. um, if you're, you know, if if you get in, like an old house, you know, like those old style traditional houses, yeah, um, a lot of a lot of people, especially the younger people, they seem to not want to live. You know, they don't want to like you know renovate or do those houses up. They just want either, you know, a new house or a new-ish house that's had work done on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've been looking at them and I'm like, man, if if I get a chance where my boss is like, yeah, you can go and work overseas for a month, for a month, not a month, uh, for a month, um, I would totally do that. I totally go and stay in like Osaka or Kyoto for like a whole month, just like in in a house where I'm just by myself. That'd be nice mm-hmm. and like tucked away and it's all old wood old tatami like oh that's cool yep that's the first night there you're like kissing the floor and stroking it tatami anyways um but and then i started thinking about living living with tatami is is not ideal it's not ideal well not when you have kids no oh okay I mean, obviously I don't, um, but I was saying, I was looking at all of these things and I'm like, wait, hold on. But whenever I want to go to a center and I'm like, I, I can't go to a center because I've got a tattoo and I'm like, makeup, okay. waterproof makeup. You can get foundation that's waterproof. <laughs> I'm not going to spend like two hours just blotting my arm okay. and then. So we went to a uh, hotel not too long ago, maybe a month, two months ago. And um, it was right beside Mount Fuji. 
beautiful beautiful view um and they had an onsen there right yeah they probably had um signs saying like no tattoos but when we went in there i went with my boys and when we went in there like there was literally nobody there right yeah like, there's no staff around or anything well like that's the thing like when i took my niece and nephew to japan um a few years back um at the hotel they have the the onsen and you can just go in like they didn't really care if you had tattoos like eh. yeah that's what i'm saying like yeah like if you go to the public ones like i'm sure they care yeah yeah like, but they'll, hotel they'll, they'll stop you but a hotel, hotel like nobody's gonna know like, no i'm not saying i'm not condoning it but i'm saying like if you really wanted to like i doubt anybody would say anything even people that were in there like because nobody looked like you don't stare at each other so you know like nobody's gonna probably notice that you've got tattoos <laughs> unless you're <laughs> completely covered or something yeah but like that's some of the things that i'm looking forward to with now like travel being available again um and another place that i've been looking at is also thailand thailand is super cheap and i know you guys love thailand i've never been my, my wife's been that's there. right she's been and uh, she loves brother's it being a lot yeah um, um but like a month and a month in Phuket, like a thousand bucks New Zealand, and you get you get like a really decent apartment with a gym. Obviously, you can't food, drink the water a... though. Uh, oh well, just buy a bottle and, of water. And the beer, the beer might be like pure ethanol. I don't drink make beer. You go blind. You know that. You know I don't drink beer. I don't know that. I thought you did. I, I, well, if I'm in Japan, I would, but anywhere else, I'm like, nah why what's the difference i feel like japanese beer in japan isn't as like gassy i i don't notice any difference to be honest for me at least because you know how i've got asthma and i've got allergies and so like when stuff starts they put to pollen in the, in the beer yeah yeah and then they just fills your stomach up <laughs> Uh, no, but you know how if it gets really gassy, like it just builds up and just squeezes your diaphragm. I don't know if you noticed this, but back when you were still living in New Zealand, like when we were having dinners and if I had like a beer or two and dinner, I would be like having asthma attacks. That's because I didn't like, notice that at all. <laughs> well, so much for being a friend. Sorry. Um, but yeah, that's why I stopped drinking beer. I just didn't. Yeah. I didn't like how it made me fit felt after a meal and a beer. I was just like, yeah. Uh, yeah, my brother gets like farty. Like he stopped drinking because it started making him get farty. I don't know if he wants me to share that, but I well, that you have like five of them, so no one will know which one. No one will know. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good place to wrap up about farts. That's a good mm -hmm. good place to finish this um yeah just making it a bit light and airy well if anyone is listening to this we hope you're well um you're safe family safe uh good time to buy bitcoin it's quite low at the moment <laughs> oh true good time to buy anything even stocks um yeah but don't buy gold. Gold has shot up. Uh, yeah. For obvious reasons. Yes. 
Um, uh, might be time to a good time to get some ruble as well. It's quite it's trading quite low as I hear. I'm gonna sound like an evil person, but I was thinking, man, I should buy like a massive building in in Moscow, seeing as it's not worth anything right now, and just hold on to it until you know the ruble comes back up again. And then until sell the it. government takes it and says screw you, and you don't get anything for it. That's true. I forgot about Putin. So never mind. Yeah, but going back to what I was saying, um, <laughs> hope everyone's okay and. Uh, wish you all the best in these turbulent times. Yes, and, uh, stay safe out there. When you're sad about the uh, the price of the petrol, there are people, not just in Ukraine, but um, in a lot of different places, Yemen, Myanmar, who are doing it very tough, and we have to, uh, you know, have a level head about that sort of stuff. And um, remember, there's you know we got good lives. A lot of people have good lives, relatively speaking. Yeah. Yep. Stay safe out there, everyone, and we will hopefully see you next week. Yes. Bye. Bye.